It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. We're getting ready for the NBA draft with a man who knows all about it. Kevin O'Connor, let's go. It's time. You want the best Celtics talk around? Here it is. This is the Rain and Jays podcast. Here's John and Jay. Yeah, it's almost time for the NBA draft. We've got a little thing called the NBA Finals still to get through, but whatever, we don't care about that. What we do care about is the future of the Boston Celtics. So along with Jay King here, we bring in the preeminent draft expert on the internet, Mr. Kevin O'Connor. Kevin, welcome to the Rain and Jays podcast. John Jay, thank you for having me on. You can find Kevin O'Connor's stuff on the internet, like on everywhere, everywhere Every on the internet. Publication. There's no, there's no like place that you write for. He writes for the internet. So just, <laughs> just type Kevin O'Connor. You don't even have to type it into Google. Just start typing it anywhere on your wherever you are, and something will pop up that Kevin has written. And what do you write? Like four or five things a day, Kev. Uh, it depends. It varies. <laughs> right now, it's very busy with the draft. Okay, so let's just let's just dive right in. Just jump into the deep end. Who are we picking at three? I mean, I lean towards Dragon Bender at three. I think he's probably. I mean, like Danny Ainge said recently, we're going to take the best player available regardless of the age of the player. I think Bender for the Celtics is the best player available. When you look at today's NBA, how valuable switchability is on defense. Bender is a versatile player. On offense, he's a seven foot one big that can stretch the floor, can shoot threes. He's a terrific passer, which is something he doesn't really get an opportunity to do overseas right now. I just think he brings a lot of good, good tools where he can be like a guy who makes an impact on a nightly basis, even if he's not scoring the ball. How concerning are his numbers right now? Obviously, he's only averaging a couple points a game, about twelve minutes a game overseas right now. How concerning is that? And, and how much does he need to develop, I guess? I don't really – like, with him, I don't look at the numbers at all, to be honest with you, and the reason why is just because of his role. I mean, right now, basically, on offense, he stands in a corner and, and shoots spot-up threes, and that's his role. That's all he has to do. So he's, the numbers aren't going to be there for him. But then you look at what he did for the national team, and you're like, okay – this kid, you know, at the time when he was only 17 last year, you're like, okay, this guy, this guy can make an impact in so many different ways on the floor. Just right now, he's playing in a league with guys in their late 20s and their 30s. So even though he's like one of the best players at his age group, he's still not going to get the opportunity to play with those guys at like a 20 plus minutes per game level. We we had a we had a debate about him last podcast we have. Are you at all worried that he did not catch all the passes thrown to him in his Draft Express <laughs> strengths video? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to his when his shooting, like up to last year, he wasn't a great shooter, but he's improved quickly. So I think that's an encouraging sign. Jay's yeah, hung no, up on that man. 
No, no. So in the draft extras strengths video, I don't know if you've seen it. They they show a pass that he doesn't catch. He just bobbles it. It like really looks awkward doing it. And then they have an arrow saying like did not catch the pass, but it shows off his mobility. So I, I just <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just laughing Come about on. that all, all last podcast. So there, I, there's I wanted some, uh, to see if you were worried about it. I, I figured probably not. Um, <laughs> there, there are some clips of him out there, um, some that I have clipped on my laptop that I, I, I was going to use for an article recently, but I decided not to, like where he just bounces off of a guy driving to the rim. You're like, okay, there's evidence that he needs to get a whole lot stronger because it looks like he's bouncing off of a trampoline when he drives to the rim on the clip that I have. I wish we could show <laughs> it. If you guys had a TV show, we could put it on the screen, but... <laughs> is he a tough guy? Because Porzingis is also really slim and not very, very strong, but he's tough. And, and I think that helped him succeed in the NBA in his rookie season. Is is Bender a tough guy too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you bring up a good point about Porzingis because last year the knock on him was like, oh, he's soft. When in actuality, no, he's tough. And I think Bender, he's tough in a different kind of way. I don't think he's Porzingis tough where he throws down put back dunks but i think you know he shows emotion on the floor i don't think he's someone who's afraid right uh, i don't get the impression that he's soft i don't know if he's Porzingis level tough though well i mean if, you, if you've read the draft express piece on him i mean the kid was like basically ripped from his mom at 12 years old to go pursue this basketball dream and and he's had to live through a lot i mean if if he has gotten to this level this far. He's got to have some level of toughness to get it, get to this point. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of you know kids who play basketball overseas, just the way their system is over there, you do have to have you know an element of toughness or focus to to really hone in on your dream. And I think Bender. I mean, look, the question a lot of NBA teams ask is, does this guy love basketball? I, I don't think there's any question that Bender loves basketball and he wants to be successful. He, he he's a, a a kind of weird case because a lot of fans don't know him very well, but the NBA teams have. I mean, they've been watching him since he was like 15 years old. How long have you been aware of him and how good a prospect he is? I guess how how long have you been studying him? I mean, I think maybe two years ago he like popped on you know my personal radar as someone like oh yeah. keep an eye on him. So I mean, yeah, his his improvement ever since I first watched him, it was impressive. I, I think, like with any young college freshman, you want to see them improve over the course of the year, and it's the same thing with international players. You, you look to see them improve in certain areas, and I think he's done that pretty well at only 18 right now. Do you have a gauge of how long it's going to take him to kind of contribute at the NBA level? Um, I don't think it'll come his rookie year. Just, I mean, it depends on the situation. He could be drafted into a situation where he's asked to do the same thing that he is overseas, like just spot up and play hard on defense. But I think looking at the teams in the top five, it's probably most likely that he'll just have like a really small role or maybe not much of a role at all as a rookie. But that's okay. I mean, he's got a ways to improve. Yeah, that that's part of my next question. Looking around the landscape for the number three pick, whether it's him, Jamal Murray, Chris Dunn, a lot of the the names that that are being thrown about as possible number three picks, it seems like a lot of those guys aren't really great fits for the Celtics, either because they play guard where the Celtics have a lot of good players 
or because they'll need years to develop and the Celtics are already a 48-win team. Is that, is that kind of fair to say that a lot of these guys aren't, like, perfect fits? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I mean, go down the list, really, whether it's Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald or Jamal Murray. First of all, he said the Celtics have a ton of guards already. But then there's the fact that some of these guys in this range, Jalen Brown, um, Luau, they're either unproven shooters or or they're just really they might not even be that good of shooters, period. And then you got a guy like Geek and Pirtle. I mean, I don't think of him as a number three option, but some people do. You look at him and it's like, well, is he really an upgrade over Tyler Zeller? I mean, there's there's guys in that range where it's like, okay, they're nice, but maybe you'd be better off swinging for the fences for a guy like Dragon Bender or even a Marquise Chris type of player. I mean, because that's what you're looking for is the transcendent little player, not another role player. It's funny because people talk about this as a two-person draft, a two-player draft. I don't know if it's necessarily a two-player draft. It's just those are the only two players that people can kind of come to a consensus on. There are a lot of after, – after one and two, it's a mess. You look at the mock drafts, it's a mess. you got one here. I'm looking at one where Buddy Heald is, is the third pick, and then like Draft Express has him at seven with Jalen Brown being the third pick. So there's a lot. There's a wide swath of talent available after two that's all kind of equal. So what do you think of – I've always said from the beginning of this that the Celtics have too many picks. There's got to be a way for them to consolidate. So if they can't trade three, and we'll get to the whole trade scenarios a little later on, but – if they can't trade three for a current NBA player, what do you think about either packaging some of these first-round picks in a trade down, or maybe you put 16 and 23 together to trade up to, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something like that, consolidate them that way? Because if, you're not, if you don't take Bender at three, then you can go basically anywhere in this draft and find a player that's of a similar talent level. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough spot for them because, I mean, I agree. You ideally don't want eight picks because you you might draft draft and stash five guys. You, you might end up drafting a lot of international players, which is okay. You'll have a nice pool of talent overseas. But preferably, you'd like to consolidate. And, I mean, I like your idea of trading 16 and 23 and maybe, like, 35 to move up to 10. But the, the issue with that is, as we saw last year, there's no guarantees that works because – you know, it should. I mean, I think we can all agree that the Charlotte Hornets should have accepted the Boston Celtics <laughs> offer last year, <laughs> right? Probably. But, but, but yeah, hey, probably. Well, when you can when you can keep Frank Kaminsky rather than getting <laughs> a, a horde of first round picks, you've got to go with Kaminsky. Let me tell you. Especially when your team's in a transitional phase and you need tons of swings to get your talent. But yeah, anyway, th- there could be another Hornets this year, right? I mean, we don't know for sure. I think. I think a team in that 8-13 to 13 range could easily and should probably accept any type of consolidation offer the Celtics uh, give them, but there's, there's no guarantees there. So in terms of number three, I'm not against trading down from that pick, especially if you can like take a page out of the Patriots book and get like a future first-round pick. Even though the Celtics are already loaded, it doesn't hurt to grab another one. But that's kind of a rare, rare thing in the NBA. I don't think we've seen that happen often. 
but we've never seen a team have this many picks in one year. So I, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I'd be, I'm definitely for any type of trade moving within the first round. You, you, men, you mentioned Chris. For, first of all, is he as intriguing as I think he is? Yeah, I think he is. I definitely do. I mean, he is a, a, a freak athlete. He's only been playing basketball for four years. I look at that guy and I'm like, this, first of all, this guy has a chance to really, really flop. But, but second of all, yeah. that could be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, like you said, he could flop easily. He's the type of guy who doesn't exactly have the best basketball IQ. He doesn't, he's not a good passer. He shows flashes on defense, but for the most part, he really seems like he doesn't give a damn on the defensive end. But <laughs> then you look at it. Sounds great. <laughs> but then you look at everything else and you're like, okay. This is the best athlete in the draft. He can already shoot the ball well. He's six foot nine with a long wingspan. He could play different positions. You look at that and you're like, okay, maybe we can mold this guy into a really special player. And then, like John said earlier, after the top two, there's no consensus. So maybe Chris is the guy who, through all the pre-draft workouts, maybe he shows some level of improvement. Maybe his personality checks out. You're like, okay, we can turn him into a good player. His poor defense at Washington was just a product of the environment. It's not him. Maybe, maybe on the Celtics or the Suns or the Wolves, a team, you know, any team with a positive environment that's moving forward. Maybe in that situation, he can become a good defender, making up for his weaknesses. You talked about personality. Obviously, that's probably the most important thing that not a lot of people talk about when when, when you look into draft prospects. Uh, how 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 much about these per- guys' personalities do you know when you rank them, and and how much I guess do you do you think teams rank guys based on their personalities, and how much does that come into play? I think I think teams do it differently. I think some teams they might. Be- factor it heavily others they probably don't care that much at all or sometimes um sometimes they might focus often on like visual cues like for marquis chris for example sometimes he gets frustrated you can see him on the floor like rolling his eyes or throwing his hands up and that looks like a negative thing but it isn't always like negative it's not always this guy's a disgruntled player he's not a good teammate it could be the fact that maybe he's one of those types of players that has a deep desire to win and he's just becoming overly frustrated. Maybe in a different situation, that frustration turns into like the pounding of the chest, you know, and excitement, something that people like, right? So I I think teams that look at personality through like personality tests and things like that, they can really find out who the guy is, like who, what his character really is instead of just going off the visual cues that they give off on the floor. But I think it's important, that's for sure. Yeah, I want to I want to take a little detour here because we're talking about personality and it just brings up this whole Ben Simmons issue. And I I'm just kind of curious what we think of his flop potential, his bust potential. Because he's he's clearly one of the top 2. But his attitude, his, you know, he he, he went to school he kind of basically left after the first semester. After basketball was done, he's kind of done. He's he didn't he didn't lift his team. He didn't push that. You know, he, all of these knocks on the guy. He seems like he's kind of 
blase about this whole thing. Does he have yeah, a bust, like a high bust potential? I feel like he has a high bust potential. Bust? I, I mean, I would say no, no. <laughs> but I'm not the expert. Kevin, let, let's hear it from you. I'm with Jay. I'd say no. I don't think Simmons will bust. It depends on the type of bust we're talking about, though. I well, mean, okay. What do, if he do, What if he becomes Lamar Odom? Is that a bust? No, I don't no. think so. I don't think it's. I don't think he's a bust, even if he becomes Evan Turner. But it depends on the expectations, right? I mean, if you're expecting Ben Simmons to be LeBron James, I don't think he'll become that type of player. I don't expect him to. I think he'll be a really good NBA player for a long time, but is he the type of player, depending on the situation that you want to build around? Well, maybe not. It depends a lot on his jumper developing. It depends on him deciding that he wants to take advantage of the, take advantage of his athletic tools and start defending. It depends on those little things for me, but I don't think there's any doubt like with his passing ability and his speed at six foot ten that he'll be an NBA player. It's just a matter of is he gonna be a good player or is he gonna be a great player that really contributes to winning on your team and, and like you said, at L S U he didn't drive his team to win. Is he gonna be that type of player throughout his career where he's just a stats he fills up the box score or is he gonna be a guy who helps the team actually win by fitting in and making a positive impact every night. Well, that's let's define bust then because I don't think he's going to be like out of the league in three years. But I, I'm talking about a guy who is the number one overall pick who would be taken as a cornerstone guy to lead a franchise to becoming a contender. Or does he become a role player? I think if he becomes just a role player for, the, for his whole career, then that's kind of a bust. How about what if he's like a high-end role player, not not necessarily, you know, a bench role player, but a, a starting role player who's like your number two or number three next year, your superstar, your number one. Because I don't necessarily think he'll be that top guy on a championship team. I look at him as more like the second or third guy on the team, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think he'll be the best player to come out of this draft. Okay. Well, that's so I think we just need to set our expectations because if you set your expectations yep. here at the top pick, then we get to see what the rest of the draft is like. So, if the number 1 pick in this draft is Ben Simmons and we're looking at him as his ceiling is basically your third best player if he if he if he projects out that way, then the rest of the draft kind of feels different. And it, that's what we're talking about here, right? How the draft feels. Because at this point, we don't know. We're, it's it's going to be like five years before we can judge this draft. You know, we always like to go back and be like, oh, if we could redraft the you know, 2010 draft, who would we pick first? Blah, blah, blah. So with the Celtics at three and fans sitting there saying, well, geez, I can't believe we didn't get number one or number two. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Because if Simmons or now Ingram's a different story, maybe, but. If, if we're talking about the top pick not being a lead your team, not necessarily LeBron level, but still you expect these guys to be a top player on your team, then the third pick's not so bad. Because if the third pick in this draft gets you a solid rotational player, then there's not much difference between one and three. No, I mean, I think you bring up a good point. I, I think there's a – I mean, just to, to make myself clear, I think Simmons, there's a chance – that he could become like one of those transcendent little players 
I mean, with all his talent that he has. But realistically, I just don't see his jumper improving that much, which I think would limit him in today's NBA. But you're right, though. If Simmons does become, like, that second or third guy on your championship-level roster, then sure. I mean, you look at the rest of the draft, and there's always an opportunity. and There's always a chance that one of those guys in the late lottery or even early second rounders could exceed expectations. Because I look at the draft, I don't think – I don't think there's a big difference between 4 and 14, and I don't think there's a big difference between, like, 14 and 34, just because the draft is deep with role-player-level talent. And some of those guys are going to fall off. They're not going to be in the NBA four years from now. Some of those guys are going to probably become really, really good players, and some of them might become great. It's just a matter of who, a matter of the system they're drafted into, the fit and the opportunity they get. There's so many variables that are really impossible for us to predict. So let's do this. I want to play this little game now. Let's pretend it's it's 2021, and we've got these guys. They they've they've gone into restricted free agency and all that other stuff. Let's let's redraft the draft that hasn't happened yet. Who do you think ultimately <laughs> becomes in five we years? We are already redrafting. I want I want to do this. I love it. This is why Ray and James is the best podcast. Because, <laughs> because we look five years into the future. We're, we already know we already know that these are going to be the picks that Simmons and Ingram one or two one way or the other. But in yeah. five years, who ultimately becomes the best player in this draft? When we sit there five years from now and say, if we redrafted, I would have taken this guy first. Who do you think could be that guy? Okay, can I pick like? Three guys. Yeah, we'll redraft on. like one through three. We'll okay. say these. All right, all right. In five years, the top three guys from this draft could be who? Okay, I, I put my money on these guys: Denzel Valentine from Michigan Ooh. State, Ooh. Wade Baldwin from Vanderbilt. He's another. He's a two-way guard, great defender. I love Wade Baldwin, and then DeAndre Bembry from St. Joseph's. I think if he improves his jumper he can become one of the better players in this draft. Those three, I mean, from the in the first round range, those are guys I, I really like a little bit more than like the consensus does. I think they could exceed expectations. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, I mean, Baldwin is a still a potential first-round pick, not a guaranteed first-round pick. Yeah, I, I think he'll be a first-round pick. It's just a matter of, you know, where he gets drafted. Is he a top-ten guy or late teens? We'll, we'll see. I mean, the funny thing, is, funny thing with him is he compares himself to Russell Westbrook, which he's not because he's not he's not the explosive, <laughs> incredible, amazing athlete that Russell Westbrook is. But it's like clear watching him play that he models his game after Westbrook. Like he, you know, that little pull up jumper from the key that Westbrook has. Yeah. Wade Ball and copies of that. Even the way he moves his body is like Russell Westbrook. He just can't do the explosive things, but. Baldwin does say he wants to be Westbrook with a higher basketball IQ, and that's one thing he does have. He's a better passer than Westbrook. He's coming into the league, at least as a better defender. I'm not saying he'll be Westbrook, but he might be a player in a similar mold that makes an impact on both ends of the floor. I like Baldwin a lot. Is he as crazy as Westbrook? <laughs> Is anybody? Uh, <laughs> does he have the same passion? <laughs> I don't know if I could say this on a podcast, but some people have said that he's he's an a hole, but but that can be in a good way or a bad way, and I think for him it's in a good way. 
So he he would get really upset at Charlie Villanueva is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he got upset at his teammate Damian Jones a heck of a lot last year, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Like the Mario Chalmers in, in Miami thing. <laughs> Maybe if he has LeBron on this teammate, he'll be the one getting yelled at. Uh Let's let's get into <laughs> back to the number three pick. Yeah. All right. Back, back to the number three pick. You've talked about Chris, who a lot of guys don't consider a number possible number three pick. Who who are some other guys who would be like like sleeper options at that number? Uh, besides Chris, probably sleeper options. Denzel Valentine, who I mentioned, I don't I don't know if he'd be on their radar at number three. Probably more realistically at sixteen, but. Valentine's a guy who I think, if you're looking at seniors, put him on the Celtics, he can do a lot of things that Evan Turner does, but probably do it better because he's like a 44% three-point shooter. That's something, obviously, Turner was hovering around 20% all last season. So I think Valentine would help the Celtics space the floor. I think he'd be a great passer from day one. His defense needs work, but I'm not not as worried about his defense as a lot of people are. Um, Maybe... I don't know if Buddy Heald will be on the radar, but if Heald shows a level of improvement in workouts as a ball handler, I think you have to look at him as a guy like maybe he's going to significantly improve on some of his weaknesses. But people forget his jump shot was a weakness like just two or three years ago. So maybe his ball handling ability and his passing vision will make similar strides that his shooting did. So I think Heald, Valentine, Chris, Guys like that really have to keep an eye on, keep an eye on them at three. Let's get into some of these Twitter questions because we've been we've been slammed with a bunch of them. And before we start answering a lot of these, uh, because uh, first of all, let me just get to some of these that we may have already touched on here. Okay, so at Matt Dot Rich, should the Celtics consider Marquise Chris at three? So you think that's a, le- a legitimate potential third pick? I, I think they should at least consider it, just considering his upside, his athleticism. I don't know if he should be the pick. Personally, I think there's a lot of risk there, but I think he should at least be in consideration. Uh, at Chris Reichert, which player in the 15 to 30 range is most ready to contribute for an NBA team? How about Malcolm Brogdon from Virginia, 3 and D wing high basketball IQ. I think if he's drafted onto a winning team, he's one of those guys that could probably step in and make an impact. That dude seems like a polished guy too. He he, he worked out for the Celtics maybe a couple of weeks ago. And he, he seemed like a Celtics type of guy. He, he was, he was like, the, the thing I want to show here is that I compete at a higher level than anyone else <laughs> and that no one will score on me. Yeah, I talked to him at the combines. He, he, he's really polished. I, I think he knows his game too. He, he understands who he who he is in the league and who he how he can fit. And I think that's a good thing. Anytime you're you're a winning team and you're drafting a guy that understands that he's not going to be the star, I think that's a positive. Uh, this is an intriguing one from uh, Chris O'Brien. Where should Luau be on the Celtics draft board? Will he be available at sixteen? I think he could be available at 16 for sure, um, especially because some people don't love him. A lot of people do love him. I think it's pretty divided on Luau. I have him at eight or nine on my Celtics big board. Um, I like him a lot. I think he'd be worth a shot at 16 just because of his upside, his athleticism, and he improved a lot over the last year. 
playing for Mega Leagues for sure. It's so funny because some of these guys, I'm looking at, as we're talking, I'm looking at these different mock drafts. And, you know, this one of them here has him at 24, and another one here has him at 15. So one has him gone before the Celtics pick again, and another one has him available with that last pick in the first round that the Celtics have. So it's so hard. So we're all guessing, and it's just kind of up to the whims of these general managers, these front offices, to decide what fit, what direction they want to go in that could completely reshape. And this is how it goes with every draft, but because of how even some of these, this talent is, like you said, you know, four through 14 is basically all the same and 14 and 15 through 34 is basically all similar. You can kind of go in any direction here. And then this guy that teams might've thought would be available at 16 could be gone at 10. But then that also leaves the potential for a guy to drop from that top seven, eight, nine, and fall to maybe sixteen. So, is there a guy that you think has the potential that could be a good player? That if things break a couple of ways, maybe a good player could drop that far down. Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance this year. I mean, there could be a guy who goes lottery that nobody expects, and maybe DeAndre Bembry is the guy who rises up into the lottery, which forces uh, a Henry Ellenson out of the lottery. Maybe someone like Jacob Perto slips or. Scalabassier from Kentucky. I mean, there's definitely guys who could slip out of the lottery, including Luau, as we already mentioned. I think Chad Ford has Luau ranked out of a first round on his big board, which which means, knowing the way he builds his boards, that NBA team, the intel he's receiving is that Luau is not a first rounder. But I think most sites, including myself, have Luau as like a lottery pick. So there's definitely guys who you expect to go lottery, do drop to that 16th or maybe 23rd pick for the Celtics. So if you had to draft, and this is, comes from, there's a question here from at Murtick Allen. Uh, if you had to draft the options at 16 and 23, and he lists a bunch of players here, uh, adding that there's a lot of value in mid-first, much more than in uh, 2015. So if you had to make those picks, assuming what you assume from the other, other teams, the Celtics actually make the picks 3, 16, and 23 to keep these players. What are who do they go for? Well, one of them I would definitely draft and stash if the Celtics have to keep all three first rounders at twenty three. Like, look at let's look at twenty three first for a draft and stash. I'd probably look at Ante Zizic, a center. You know, has a hot. You know, he hustles, plays hard. I don't know if he'll be a great NBA player, but it's easy to see him becoming a, a solid role player just because of the energy he plays with as a big. But then the guy I really like is Juan Hernan Gomez. He's a stretch forward, good three-point shooter, another guy who plays hard, versatile. I think he could become a pretty good NBA player. One of those guys I'd take a shot at, keep him overseas. And then at 16, I'd probably just look for the guy that I would want to target at three, but you're hoping that they fall to 16. And for guys like that, I look at Denzel Valentine, Timothy Luau, Maybe a Wade Baldwin. Granted, you already have 400 guards on the roster. <laughs> Guys like that, I'd be looking at at 16. Okay, one question we keep getting a lot is Julio Okafor. Uh, obviously, you know he's had a 
solid rookie season from a scoring standpoint, not so solid from a lot of other standpoints. Where would he be if he were in this draft class on your draft board? Um, I'd probably have Okafor fourth or fifth, maybe, something some along those lines. Fourth or fifth. I, I just I, I like Okafor, but at the same time, I don't know if I want to build around him. I don't know if I want him as a centerpiece on my roster. I'd, I'd rather have Maryland's Noel if we're picking big men from the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> With the I third mean, pick I, of the NBA draft, the Celtics select Maryland's <laughs> Noel from the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> <laughs> and they will redraft it in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> immediately after draft night. <laughs> no, the night of draft night, Jay. We're going to do it the second the draft's over. Hey, no, I mean, that, that's a great story o- idea. <laughs> and, uh, Okafor, I just, with, the way I look at it is like, in today's NBA, with the emphasis on spacing and versatility, would you rather have, like, Al Jefferson or, in, in their prime, Al Jefferson or, like, a Tyson Chandler type? And I'd probably rather have the Tyson Chandler type who's probably more like Nerland's Noel. Those aren't perfect comparisons. No comparison is, but I'd rather the Chandler type in his prime. That's just the way I kind of look at it going forward with Noel. Is it kind of unfair to to Okafor that we judge a lot of these other guys based on upside and potential, and, and maybe people don't look at his defensive potential for his age? I think I think it is unfair. I mean, you, you bring up a good point because with Okafor, we see one year of him in Philly, and we're like, okay, this guy's always going to stink on defense. When that not might not necessarily be true because he's he's got like a long seven foot six wingspan. He's mobile on offense, so maybe someday he'll learn to translate that on defense. I just worry about a guy that in the national championship game and throughout the NCAA tournament. He was, like, jogging up and down the floor. I just don't know if he cares that much about playing defense, even when his offensive role isn't through the roof. I just I don't know if he's just got it to be a good defender. And granted, you could also say, well, even then, because with the Celtics last year, they proved they could have a top defense with Jared Sullinger and Kelly Olenek as your anchor down low, right? So it's possible to have a great defense without having a great defensive center. But I think, like, it. If you take last year's Celtics team and put an elite rim protector down low, I think they would have maybe had the number one or number two defense in the NBA. It would have been way better than it was, whereas Olenek and Sellinger weren't necessarily liabilities. They played good positional defense. But if you put a great defender down there, you take your defense to another level, and I think that's the objective. Whereas Okafor's low post scoring might be great, but I'd just rather have a guy that fits into – that fits into the roster that you're building. And Stevens talks all the time about having four out shooters with one rim running big. That's not Julia for. And I, he's just not the guy I'd want to build around. And I wouldn't trade the number three pick for him. Let me just sneak in a couple of these Twitter comments because we've gotten a couple of these Okafors uh, at, uh, at the the thinhead, God, these Twitter handles. Why would Boston want Okafor, a slow big who can't defend a paper bag? I'm gonna throw that one in there. And then uh, Diane Brown, uh, Okafor, Noel, or Bender. Who is the better long-term player for the Celtics? Hmm, that, that's a tough question. I mean, it's probably not Okafor, in my opinion. But 
I think Bender has higher overall upside than Noel, but Noel, I mean, we've already seen him for two years now defend at a high level in a crappy situation, and we've seen that he can become like a a good rim-running big that dumps over the top for defenses. Whereas a Bender, he's only 18. He's the youngest player in the draft. It's, it's very hard to project him, even though I think long-term he has higher overall upside. But Noel does too. I mean, we can't forget how good Noel can be. So it, it, for them, it's kind of a toss-up for me. Something to keep in mind with the Noel stuff too is that he only has one year left on his rookie contract. So mm. when people argue whether the Celtics should target Noel or Okafor or whatever – like that that's that's a factor. He's gonna get paid. Paid, right. paid, paid, like like a lot of these guys and he, he, I I've brought this up before in, in in my Philly hatred, which we all know it's it's pretty strong. The the they are now in a situation where they've had all of these issues, they're still trying to build, they're still trying to figure it out. And I know they've given up on quote unquote the process, but Noel is a restricted next summer. And uh What's his face? Uh, the other guy <laughs> just all of a sudden drew a blank. Uh, is restricted the the summer afterwards. Uh, that other guy, dude. That other guy who hasn't played in three years. Uh, I can't believe I just drew a blank. Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. Thank you. Thank you. We got you. I drew a blank on that one. So Embiid that, is restricted. That guy remember Joel in, in well, it's, it's he's very forgettable now. He hasn't done anything except I mean, he, Shirley he drinks, Temple's. He, he drinks a lot of Shirley Temples, and he's got a strong Twitter game. Strong, <laughs> he does, strong Twitter he game. does have a strong Twitter game. But so he's restricted. He's already a restricted free agent in two summers. So if he, you basically have a couple of seasons to figure out exactly what he's become. They've they've already got decisions to make. They've got money to to start spending on these guys. They're lucky that the cap has exploded. And they have a little more flexibility because if they were still operating under current cap rules, they'd have a lot of tough decisions to make. And it, those things are coming up quick. So just want to throw that out there because <laughs> you just wanted to bash the Sixers. Just want to bash the Sixers a little bit more. So, but okay, but that does affect that does affect what the Celtics do if they do. Let's say the Sixers come out and, and say we we need to trade one of our bigs for just the third pick. The third, does it take more than the third pick to make this trade? It's not the third pick and somebody, is it? I don't know. I don't know if it would, to be honest with you. I feel like when I look at this year's draft, I'm thinking the third pick for Noel straight up is pretty fair. I think for Okafor, it's a pretty fair trade. I don't know if how many extra pieces you really need. But um, just one spot on the money factor that you brought up, I think it's a very, very good point. And that goes for, like, the superstars, the people talking about the Celtics targeting, Cousins, Blake Griffin, Jimmy Butler, guys like that. I think Cousins and Butler both have at least two years left in their contract, whereas Blake Griffin is a free agent next summer. And that also would have to play a factor into if they do have a choice, which they probably won't. But in theory... For guys you're targeting, I think Blake Griffin with only one year left, that has to play a factor in terms of his value because he could he could leave, he could go back out west, he could go somewhere sunny next summer. So who really knows? Yeah, it's weird because expiring contracts used to be like awesome, like everyone wanted expiring contracts, and now it's like 
expiring contracts are no good because like Bismack Biombo is going to get 17 million per year. So, so who knows what these other guys are going to make? Uh, we've got some questions from Sam Sheehan, <laughs> who I mean, it's like a, a five part. We'll, we'll boil it down to this, Kevin. Why do you hate Jamal Murray? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't hate Jamal Murray. I just, I just don't think he's a top five pick or a top eight pick, just the way a lot of people have him ranked. Because look, he, he's one of the few players that averaged twenty points per game or more as a freshman, and that's super impressive. There's no denying that he's a great three point shooter, and that has a lot of value value in today's NBA. But with Jamal Murray is I think he's one of the worst defenders in the draft. And I know there's a, there's good players in the NBA that don't play much defense, but those players are probably more than one dimensional on offense. And I'm not convinced that Murray will be anything more than one dimensional on offense because people talk about his vision as a passer and he does have solid vision. But at the same time, I don't, I don't have confidence in him being becoming a guy that can create because he has such a slow first step off the dribble. Unless he makes drastic improvements as a ball handler, I just don't know he'll take that next step. I just see him as more like an Eric Gordon type of guy who also averaged over 20 points per game as a freshman in college. And Eric Gordon is an NBA player for a long time, and Jamal Murray could be too. But I would rather take a Wade Baldwin guy, a guy who defends at a high level, who also shoots at a high level, and has a better first step, and he's probably a better athlete over Jamal Murray. It's just, I just think a lot of it with him is the fact that he went to Kentucky and the fact that he was a top high school recruit, so he already has the high status of being a top recruit, whereas Wade Baldwin was unranked, and he's a sophomore, and he went to Vanderbilt. That's just the way I look at it between those two. So he sucks. No, he can't defend right now. I mean, it's not. I mean, like, yeah. I just think he's going to struggle early in his career, and a lot of those guys. I think he's going to have a career in the NBA, but I'd rather like take a shot at like Marquis Chris, right, or a Sabonis, or Luau, guys who I think has higher overall upside. I think it all depends on draft philosophy and like what you're looking for in the draft. This draft feels like it's full of guys who if they're in the right situation, will thrive, and if they go to the wrong situation, could be as, as bad as like out of the league in, in five years. Like If they go to the wrong situation, a guy, the same player, could be a guy who would have had a 10-year career, might have a five-year career in the NBA. Like That's what this draft's starting to feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think about like who are some NBA players drafted in the lottery in years past that if they got the chance past their first year would they have turned into something right I mean we'll never know but I think there's going to be a couple guys on this year's draft where it's just circumstances just don't work out for them and we don't know who they'll be we don't know what situations they'll draft them into but guys like Scalabitier he needs to be in a situation that lets him develop behind the scenes for like two or three years. He can't be a guy who's thrown out there because he might get eaten alive and then he'll be out of the, out of the league in a couple of years. So it'll be fascinating to watch who gets drafted where and what happens in their careers. Yeah. I mean, I think of a guy like a JJ Redick 
who, you know, mm. may have struggled early and then all of a sudden found his footing and now has a strong role. Or even, you know, look at a guy in the Celtics like an Evan Turner who after after the the Indiana debacle, I mean, really the Celtics took a chance on him, but would anybody have had blamed Evan Turner if he just decided to go play in Europe and make more money that way and just go somewhere? I mean, and that's that's another thing. When you say out of the league, a lot of these guys also have options overseas that that didn't exist before. And some of these middle ground guys, like an Evan Turner, you can stay in the NBA, and now it's changing because of the the, the salary cap situation. These guys are going to make a lot more money. But you could stay in the NBA and make your five, six million dollars a year or whatever, seven million, or you can go out to Europe or go to China and make more, make a lot more money, and be a dominant player over there because you can take forty shots a game, and and then raise your stock and then come back to the NBA later. So, out of the NBA doesn't mean what it used to mean, you know. But that could be an option for some of these guys. I just feel like some when you look at situational. Uh, the, the situations that these guys could be in, it, it just has such an impact. Because if you're if you're the right player in the wrong place, then you're the wrong player, and it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. You, if you go to the wrong place, your your de- development can be severely hindered. You can develop bad habits that you never break, and and that just turns you takes your entire career and puts it down a road that it it, it could have been much 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 different getting caught up in my own words there but so but that's the the my whole point is the middle of this draft and the later part of this draft are not guys that can rise above situations and succeed no matter what they they got to be in the right place it's got to be the right thing or else things can go really bad for them you're, you're right john i mean even you mentioned some players that go overseas a guy like Marshawn Brooks averaged 35 points per game playing in China this year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Marshawn. Marshawn Brooks. Lester Hudson, the former Celtics pick, had a great year overseas too. Vaughn Wafer, another guy. Um, all them in the Chinese league. Um, yeah, I mean, they can make good money overseas. Or they can make good money overseas like Michael Beasley and then get a contract again in the NBA. So, yeah, it's that being out of the league isn't what it used to be. Lester Hudson was the first NBA player I ever interviewed. Fun fact. <laughs> Lester <Whoa>. Hudson. <laughs> uh, uh, we have, uh, we have uh, I think we got one more question on Twitter, and then we should wrap it up uh, because we're coming up on this hour-long limit. And uh, Okay, so uh, Chris Robinson, do you see any comparisons between Jalen Brown and Justice Winslow coming into the draft? Yeah, I think, you know, him – Justice Winslow and Stanley Johnson are all of the similar mold. It's that those like defense first players that are well, like they can do different things on offense. So with Jalen Brown, I just think he's a little bit of a step down from Winslow and maybe Stanley Johnson just because I don't think he has as good feel for the game. Um, and plus with Winslow, he had the intangibles were just off the charts. I mean. That guy, his leadership ability, he's hes unique. I mean, there's not a lot of guys in the world like him at his age that can be leaders of men, you know, kind of like as a cliche. But Winslow was a leader as a rookie. Um, he was a leader at Duke on the floor with the way he plays. I, I don't know if Jalen Brown necessarily has those characteristics, and I think that's important and kind of what set Winslow apart for me. All right, so uh, Kevin O'Connor – 
you have this NBA draft guide, which is insane. I mean, the amount of work that you've put into this is probably more work than I've done on anything in my entire life. And, <laughs> and I'm talking about combined. So this draft how, guide. How, much, how much work do you put into that? The, the draft guide is amazing. Um, it's just over the course of the college season, just taking notes and watching games. And then at the end of the year, going back and reviewing all the guys and putting it into a nice looking guide for people to check out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fun to do. It takes a lot of time, but it's fun. It's it, well, it, it, it shows because it, it, for the people who don't have it and you will have it, cause I'll tell you how to get it in a second. Man, you got pictures and charts and all these cool colors and everything. It's very visually stimulating. You can follow along. Even, you know, anybody can kind of you got this nice little summary here, draft projections, you got the shot the, the shot zones, the scouting notes from positive to neutral to negative. It's great stuff. Now, at at the Celtics draft last year at at their little draft party, Scalabrini had printed out the whole thing. So that he could get brushed up on whoever the Celtics picked really quickly before he went on the television. That's <laughs> so, <my> dude. <laughs> if Scal trusts it, then then you can trust it too. Scal approved the Kevin O'Connor NBA draft guide. So here is how you get it. Okay, you're going to get it through us on the Rain and Jays podcast, and you know maybe through one of the other million places that you write. But for now, you're listening to us. You're going to get it through us. You go to, and I'm going to have this link, if you've gotten to this, the podcast through RedsArmy.com, the link, you'll see it's already on that page. I'm going to put it on our Audio Boom page, too. So you go to that on the Raining Jays channel there. If you've got it through your subscription, you'll see it in the description as well. It's gum.co slash RedsArmy. You enter the discount code RAIN. You get 10%. It's only 10 bucks. So you get 10% off of that. So it's 9 bucks. And so go to gum.co slash Reds Army, put in the discount code RAIN, you'll pay nine bucks, you'll get this current draft guide, which you're, you're already working on the updated one, now that the workouts and all of that stuff, the combine has happened, you'll get all that stuff in there. Once that's done and published, you'll get an email, you'll get that one automatically, so you'll get a new one. I'm telling you, don't go. You can go to these other mock draft things. That's fine, whatever. Get Kevin O'Connor's draft guide. It's better than those other sites. I'm telling you. Uh, so, great work, Kevin. Uh, again, gum.co/slash/redsarmy. Enter the, the discount code Rain for 10% off. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. You got the John Corrales guarantee. And that's got to be worth something. <laughs> I don't think the John Corrales guarantee is worth much. But, but the, the Scalabrini stamp of approval is, is all you need to know. Yes. That's, that's probably a little bit better. There you go. Kevin, thanks a lot, man. Uh, we got to have you back You know, after the draft. You tell us how the Celtics screwed it up and how you would have done it differently. And then we can redraft. Then we can yeah, redraft. we got to redraft. We gotta redraft. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, you know, while you're here, why don't we redraft next year's draft right now too? Yeah, Kevin, you, you should you should actually write a redraft 
like rank everybody for the redraft in your updated version. <laughs> Another column. 20, 2021 redraft. Fifth. Current projection first. Uh, Kev, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Take care, man. Thanks again. Kevin O'Connor of Internet Fame joining us in the Rain and Jays podcast. That was a good show. It was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully this will be (sighs) – a lot of this stuff will come to fruition. We'll get to see what what the Celtics do with these picks. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm dying to see what Ainge has got up his sleeve with with this trade. I'm, I go so I go so back and forth on this Okafor thing, but I think I think Kevin just convinced me to be anti Okafor trade. I, I I think it all comes down to whether you feel he has more value than whoever's available at number three. And I mean I I don't know Bender well enough. Kevin sold on Bender. Kevin sold he on sold Bender. on Bender. You know what? I'm sold on Bender. I'm following Kevin O'Connor's lead in this because I I think. You could you can try for like I don't know I don't know about Okafor I'm really I'm really not sold on that at all. Noel is intriguing, but like you said, he's restricted next summer. You gotta you gotta figure out if you're gonna pay the guy. Bender, you can bring him in, and now you've got this guy that it's I'm just I'm I'm hooked on this potential matchup issue that he brings. If he can be that guy, this seven footer that can grab a rebound and bring the ball up the floor and make a good pass. Like David Lee. Like David Lee, baby. I hate you so much right now. (laughs) I hate you so much right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for the questions. Uh, We'll uh, get this thing out there. And again, oh, let's see. Whoa, we we got a question here. What players does Kevin want the C's to draft in the first round? We already gone through that, but thanks off the bench. Um... he had, how does he view Bender's ceiling? We've already gone through all that, so just give you the shout-out, add off the bench, uh, and go get Kevin's draft guide. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. Scalabrini approved, J-King approved, John Corrales approved. What more do you need to know? That's about it. All right, we're going to – we're gonna. I don't know. We'll, we'll maybe do another show before the draft. We'll do a show after the draft. Whatever. We're around. We'll see you next time on the Rain and Jays podcast. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.